There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, we discuss our thoughts on the expanded Leagues Cup. NBC bounces back with stronger-than-ever Premier League coverage. Serie B finds a home in the US. Is a World Cup every two years a foregone conclusion? And your feedback in the listener mailbag segment. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside uh, co-hosts Kartik Krishnayer and Kyle Fansler. Now, Kartik and Kyle... We've had you on separately in the last couple of weeks, but this is the first time actually the three of us have been able to actually meet up and talk at the same time. So so welcome aboard. Yeah, and, and for those listeners who don't know, uh, Kyle is uh, the uh, newest member of the World Soccer Talk team. If you go to worldsoccertalk.com, you see many of his articles and uh, a whole new um, series of original articles that he's been copy editing as well as video. If we get a chance a little bit later, we'll talk, we'll talk more about video. Uh, and in Kartik, man, it, this has been, this is kind of the calm before the storm when we're recording this podcast. So, so it's Thursday we're recording it. We know, I mean, last week we discussed um, the Premier League. We're going to have some meetings this week. Uh, this week, what we found out is they met in London, uh, the chairman of all, our chair people of the, the different clubs in the Premier League met. In London, at a swanky uh, hotel, the Landmark Hotel, uh, deep in the heart of London. And usually what happens with these types of meetings is that you know, there's an agenda, of course, and then they'll talk about uh, the matters at hand, one of which is the, the, the U.S. rights to the Premier League. And they'll talk about the opening bids and, and who's uh, bidding from the United States. What often happens, though, is it, it goes through several rounds of bidding. So you'll have the opening bids, and then they'll, they'll narrow it down to maybe the, the selective bids. And at that point, it's a, a closed bidding situation. CBS Sports does not know how much NBC Sports is bidding and so on and so forth until ultimately the Premier League makes a decision. And even when they make a decision, uh, it sometimes will take a few days to go through lawyers and the, the legal paperwork before they actually make it official. So 
So here we are Thursday. We're not expecting anything this week, but uh, stay tuned either the next week or two for a big announcement about the Premier League rights for the 2022-23 season and for the next six years and, and who that'll go to. Uh, last week's podcast, I think, Kartik, you and I were pr- pretty much thinking that, uh, I don't know, I think we were leaning towards ESPN. Have your uh, bets changed at all in, in a week? I I guess the the people I talk to around the broadcast industry all seem to think CBS has the best shot to take the rights from NBC. If someone does, in fact, take it from NBC, there is, as, as we talked about last week on the podcast, a certain degree of uh, concern among people in the industry, whether NBC is willing to pay $2 billion for six years for Premier League rights uh, in the U.S., and that uh, there seems to be a pulling back uh, from uh, from. Uh, sports once again, which we've seen previously from NBC, as I've talked about repeatedly on this podcast, except that was when NBC was owned by General Electric. Now, Comcast, you would think, is more invested in live programming and streaming, although, uh, again, um, they're primarily a cable provider, right? So that's where the conflict comes in with streaming. I don't know. I still still think NBC has an edge. Um, CBS... Definitely, uh, if CBS can take this, they become the primary player in soccer rights very, very quickly in this country, three years after not having any broadcast rights at all in the sport. And and this just reminds us that when you have these three- and six-year deals, rather than the long 10- and 15-year deals that we're seeing, particularly from college sports in the United States, that this situation can turn around on a dime. Remember, Chris, it wasn't long ago we were talking about ESPN being completely out of the club game, outside of MLS. And then you have... Serie A, three years right cycle, Bundesliga flips, and La Liga flips. So um, now they've lost Serie A, so they've gone through a cycle of that. But there is an ability to pick up rights quickly in this sport that there probably isn't in other sports. And CBS, um, uh, under uh, under their uh, uh, Sean McManus and their other leadership, see the opportunity. So I think they have a good shot. Yeah, we'll get more into that a little bit later as far as some of the other players that might be interested, uh, other than just CBS and ESPN. Um, But before we go there, let's let's talk about some of the things we've been watching from this past week and uh, from the world of football. And uh, I know, Kyle, I I know last weekend you you were uh, definitely occupied with the uh, uh, Alabama-Florida game, the college football game. But, But beyond that, though, you mean... PSG. PSG is an interesting story. I mean, for me personally, I've probably watched more Ligue 1 uh, this season than I have in several years. It's a, it is a really good league. Uh, with some really good teams, some great talent coming through, often going to much bigger clubs, Real Madrid, Arsenal, etc. But for you, Kyle, what, what are your thoughts about PSG? And can they make the addition of Messi work in the system or not? Yeah, first off, I want to... Uh Say thanks for talking about the Florida football game, even though they they did lose. That was a very fun game to be at. But yeah, you talk about League on how it's gotten a lot better. Um, you know, Leon obviously going to the Champions League semis two years ago, PSG to the final two years ago, and uh, always to making a deep run in the competition, relatively speaking. But everyone expected PSG to add Messi on and come out shooting out of the gate. Um, but they go up against Club Brugge in the Champions League, and you could really make the case that they were outplayed by a Belgian side. And that's no slight to Club Brugge. It's just PSG looked 
in my opinion from watching the game pretty dreadful and I'm I'm a pretty big Messi supporter Uh, I think he's in my opinion the greatest of all time but he just doesn't look the same way he did for Barcelona and I think that he's trying to bring that style of game to PSG and what they've done over the last couple of years is obviously successful you know how many league odds have they won uh how many French Cups have they won? And he's trying to bring that style from Barcelona to PSG, and they don't really play the same game, I think it's pretty safe to say. I think that they will sort it out. Um, I think that's a big responsibility of Mauricio Pochettino. I mean, you already see the the conflicts starting to rise up between him and Messi. They're not shaking hands as he subs Messi off in a, in a league A game. I do think they'll figure it out. I think it's honestly hard to not figure it out when you got... Neymar, Mbappe, and Messi occupying your front three, and then they have one of the best defensive combos and goalie combos in the world. So I think it's just a matter of time, but you know, really, they should figure it out sooner rather than later because you could argue Club Brugge is going to be their easiest Champions League opponent. It's not an easy group that they have there with Man City coming up next. And who knows, maybe Messi missing a couple games with an injury uh, gives him the right state of mind and kind of allows the rest of the team to figure out how to work. And then once Messi does come back, they'll have a formula ready for him. It's interesting too, watching that PSG Mets game midweek, um, I think on Wednesday, the way that uh, PSG plays without Messi, I mean, Messi uh, injured, I mean, not, not able to play, but the way that Neymar plays in this team, he, he plays as a number 10. He's the creator. He's the one that's doing the, the through balls or the crosses uh, into uh, Mbappe and Mbappe, you mean, kind of, uh, lynch, you mean, kind of uh, knocking them in from, from there. So when you have Messi playing kind of in the middle, uh, you mean, and then you got, whether it's Neymar playing out wide or it, it does, I mean, that's the thing about soccer, no matter what team it is or, or no, no matter what national team it is, so much of it is built on team chemistry and how players link together and play together. Um, it's not an individual sport. So when you do have a, a dream team of players playing together, it does it. I mean, it does affect the, the the result. It does affect the way that they play. It'll be interesting. I mean, and, and actually, PSG has had difficult times. Uh, against uh, what you could say is weaker opponents, whether it's Mets or Clermont or others. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, they do against a, a, a Lyon. You mean, oh, actually, well, yeah, they've done that. But, but you mean, I, I don't know. I think it'll be, this is going to be an interesting story to watch over the course of the season. And I think it is, in many ways, um, one of the stories to watch. I mean, and, and it actually pulls people into Ligue 1. Kartik, what about you? Have, have you been watching much Ligue 1 this season? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I, I've tried to keep track of both Monaco and Lil, who've gotten off to poor starts, although Lil did get an important victory yesterday, uh, but have not watched uh, as much as the league, of the league as I like. Have gone back and watched all the review shows on VN Sport Connect, so I feel like I'm, I, I'm up with the league, but not really watching uh, many live matches because of the conflicts with, with, with other leagues or other things in life going on. Yeah, let's, let's switch gears slightly just um, before we get to the Premier League and, and talk about La Liga. La, La Liga, I think, is an interesting story as far as the coverage this season. Anyone who's watched the English language coverage of La Liga on ESPN+, Plus, I mean, to me, I've, I've been blown away by the amount of 
you mean focus that they've had on this league. So I've seen Dan Thomas uh, more than ever in terms of you mean pre-game, halftime, post-match, in addition to his ESPN FC responsibilities. I've seen so much talent uh, involved in those pre-match, halftime, post-match. I've seen, I mean, Sid Lowe on the, on the pitch side. I've seen uh, Alexis Nunes, uh, same thing too, pitch side at uh, Camp Nou. Uh, in addition to that, you've got uh, Luis Garcia providing analysis. You've got a weekly show with uh, Kay Murray uh, about La Liga. You've got Derek Ray doing commentary. You've got uh, Maka and Ian Dark doing commentary from Camp Nou. The amount of effort that ESPN has put into really broadcasting La Liga um, is something we've, we haven't seen before. They, they're doing more to, for La Liga than they did for the Bundesliga. And then on the Spanish language side, it's interesting because I think in many ways um, that's their focus where they're trying to – I mean, one of the reasons why they got La Liga was really to, to kind of tap into the, the Spanish language audience in the U.S. and get that audience subscribing to ESPN+. Plus. And I think it's been a little bit rough, a little bit bumpy so far. And um, we're starting to see some of the games from La Liga shown on ESPN Deportes, which wasn't part of the original plan. So it looks like maybe like one game a week. Uh, it's not the, it's not your ultimate game, but it looks like they're trying to a strategy of having some of those games on television to try to talk about ESPN Plus and say, hey, here's the reasons why uh, La Liga lives on um, ESPN Plus, El Clasico lives on ESPN Plus, and try to try that that uh, method. Kartik, from what you've seen so far, do you think it's it's working on on the English language side and, and the Spanish language side? Um, whether it's working to draw new fans to the league or not, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of promotion for La Liga, even during college football games on, uh, on ESPN networks, but, uh, well, but by the way they did with the Bundesliga last year, I mean, in fact, Serie A fans were complaining a year ago at this time, why has ESPN not given shown this level of commitment to, uh, Serie A where they're mainstreaming the Bundesliga, they're, they're featuring it on SportsCenter, they're advertising for it during college football games, etc. Um, now we see the same thing with La Liga. I think uh, their studio coverage has been impressive. Their use of talent, uh, Alexis Nunez, Luis Garcia, etc., has uh, Kay Murray has been very impressive. Uh, I do, however, think that um, it's the, the timing with Messi leaving the league. Uh, quite honestly, very little star power, relatively speaking, to the past on Real Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, at Letty being kind of a clunky watch always. Um, I, I think both Sevilla and uh, and Valencia, Valencia's hot and cold, right? Every going back 20 years now since Rafa Benitez left. But uh, Sevilla could push for the title this season, is my opinion. In my opinion, but it's the timing, right? I mean, we're we're entering an era probably a Premier League hegemony, and maybe that actually started last season with an All Premier League final uh, in the Champions League, and I just. I just feel like um, they would be able to drive more viewers on the English language side to La Liga if they had gotten this deal three years earlier. Um, but now I think it's just bad timing. As far as the Spanish language side, uh, that's interesting. I think that, that that's going to help uh, get signups on the Spanish language side for ESPN+. Plus. In fact, they're, uh, they're highlighting even the, uh, the Bundesliga Spanish language uh, 
uh, telecasts now. If, if you go onto the ESPN Plus app, they're really trying to promote those as well. Um, however, I think, again, with a lot of the Spanish-language audience, Chris, now you have the option of watching South American leagues in English on Paramount Plus, uh, in addition to what they always have had through Fanat- or recently through Fanatis, Fubo, etc. And then just talking to Latinos that I uh, that I know around football that work in, in, in and around the game, uh, there seems to be even among them more of a, uh, an emphasis on the Premier League now than there was, let's say, three or four years ago, just because they see the number of players they're familiar with or the number of players they like going to that league. So, again, the timing might be all wrong. Yeah, the timing is key, definitely. And Kyle, I mean, you're a Barcelona fan. I mean, what about the Barcelona story about, you mean, the way that they're playing on the pitch? I mean, how does that feel as a Barcelona supporter, like watching that? Yeah, on the topic of timing, it seems like, you know, at first glance, ESPN may have gotten it all wrong. I mean, Messi's gone. Barcelona's probably in their worst state and got to be before the Frank Reichardt era. Um so maybe 20 years, maybe more. But I think ESPN, what they've done with La Liga is pretty impressive considering all of that. I think that they're really making that hard investment. I think, I mean, we know that that broadcast and the live broadcast from Spain, I know they made a big deal about how uh, the, the the crews and the, the studios going out to Camp Nou in Barcelona was the first time that's ever happened for a U.S.-based audience. And I think that their investment towards that, considering that, you know, all the other factors with Barcelona not being great, Real Madrid, like as, as Kartik said, the star power is not really there like it has been in the decade prior. Um, I think that it's hard to say, obviously, because we don't know the exact viewership and we won't know that for a little bit. But I think what they're doing is honestly pretty impressive, just given the circumstances. It is. It is impressive. But, but again, going back to that timing that both you, Kartik, and, and Kyle mentioned, it is like the worst timing possible because you look at even you look at the, the crowds and you look at uh, Camp Nou, you look at uh, Real Madrid Stadium, uh, Bernabeu, uh, pardon me. Uh, and, and no matter where you see in La Liga, it's half empty stadiums because of strict COVID uh, rules in those areas. And then you look at the Premier League. And it's full on, full capacity, fans chanting, singing, uh, going crazy. And, and, and it does make a difference, I think, when you're watching a game from whether it's the Emirates or Etihad or, you mean, Goodison, Goodison or Anfield, you name it, wherever it is in England. I, to me, I'm, I'm drawn in by the fans singing and chanting and, and that, as well as the football, the soccer. Uh, and I think NBC's uh, stronger than ever, ever Premier League coverage in terms of what they're doing, Kartik. W- what's your take on, on that? Yeah, I think uh, without question you see um, the, the NBC's stronger Premier League coverage this season. It has a lot to do, quite honestly, and I know a lot of listeners aren't going to want to hear this, with Peacock, and I think the flexibility Peacock uh, with the li- limited number of interruptions, no ads, etc. Um, you can go to whatever what, whatever time period, less uh, less rigid in terms of uh, 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 commercials, has given uh, NBC. I think the studio programming has been better when it's on Peacock than when it's on NBCSN or on um, 
on over the air NBC that one of the things that I've always complained about with uh, NBC it's Premier League coverage is that they load commercials up. Logically so, when you think about the, the, the construct of soccer as a television sport, uh, in the pregame show, the postgame show, and at halftime, to where you would get very little out of the studio shows. That seems to be different now on Peacock. Plus, they've got Ronaldo, in my opinion, the greatest player of this generation, back in the Premier League. They've got compelling stories with Liverpool back uh, with their with their full allotment of players. Harvey Elliott's now down, and he'll be out till January. Uh, I think with Liverpool, Chelsea, and Manchester United, you've got some great stories and eyeballs, uh, those being three very, very popular teams in the U.S. Uh, Chelsea touring of the U.S. And Chris, you and I have talked about this for years. Chelsea coming to the U.S. every year created a, a built-in fan base for them. In addition, Liverpool and Manchester United probably have the greatest support outside of Real Madrid and Barcelona in terms of English language speaking fans in the U.S. Maybe they have more support. So when you talk about those three clubs potentially being uh, competitors for a title, those three clubs, uh, I think it's a great time for NBC. The one thing NBC has missed out on is Manchester United pushing for a title in the nine years that they've had the rights. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson left the summer before NBC took over the Premier League rights. And even though Manchester United has finished second uh, twice in the league in that period, they have finished well behind Man, Man City both those seasons. Uh, this year, they may genuinely be able to push for a title. And that's just a, a win for NBC in, in every way possible. Yeah, I, I think uh, in many ways, when I watch NBC so far this season, is that they seem more focused like kind of laser focused on on the analysis they're giving. So I think everyone from Rebecca Lowe, the two Robbies, etc., have kind of seemed to have stepped up. Whether they're uh, re-energized, thinking that they may lose the rights to the Premier League, and they want to kind of give their best showing. So even if, say, say worst case scenario, NBC Sports loses the rights to the Premier League, where does that leave the two Robbies? Where does that leave Rebecca Lowe? Do they start thinking, okay, whoever gets the rights for the next six years, uh, maybe this season g- gives me that motivation, that incentive to go ahead and try my best, show how much I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for these games in terms of my analysis and uh, the takes I'm, I'm, I'm sharing. I want to give the best representation of who I am so that if CBS comes along and says, you know what, Let, let's talk to uh, Robbie Musto or, or Robbie Earl and say, hey, would you be interested in coming over to us with uh, CBS Sports? Th- I think that's definitely a possibility. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think that their analysis has been better. For me personally, Kartik and, and Kyle too, uh, Kyle, you may disagree on this one, but one of the reasons why I'm actually kind of been enjoying the Premier League coverage on NBC Sports a little bit more this season than in previous seasons is there's no men in blazers. So there's no corny cheese ball kind of like, okay, and now we're going to go off to men in blazers. And to me, which is completely unserious and completely, this is what they are, right? I mean, just kind of fun and just focusing on different things, whether it's memes or whatever. To me, it's more of the serious coverage that we're getting from NBC Sports and, and for me, without them being in the the actual kind of on the platform on the on the network, it actually makes me enjoy it better. Kartik uh, and Kyle. So what what about uh, actually Kyle? In terms of NBC's coverage of the Premier League, what for you? I mean, who, who's kind of one of your favorites in terms of um, the analysis that they, they give or the you know, the information that they they share? Well. I got to be honest, I think one of my favorite people on NBC is just Rebecca Lowe. I had the 
had the privilege of talking to her and she she's just such a professional and she seems like she knows exactly what she's talking about and she's surrounded by these former players that they're going to have all the correct analysis and whatnot and they're going to have the insight but she seems like she's able to you know go off of them and talk off of them and contribute to what they're adding on it's never just her asking them a question it's never just her saying oh here's this person with analysis she's able to provide some of that and i think that i see a lot of people talking about it is whoever does get the next batch of premier league rights you know it's pretty much a given that you know you think rebecca lowe has to travel with them because she's become such a staple of the premier league coverage in the united states and before i add anything else i do want to say uh men in blazers i think it is noticeable that their absence has changed the perception of Premier League coverage because, you know, sometimes you do need just different kinds of entertainment. In the past, it's been a two- or three-team race for a title, but I think a lot of it goes back to timing. This season, there are five teams that I think could legitimately challenge for a Premier League title, and they don't have – NBC does not have to go out and make other kinds of entertainment because people that are watching their programs, they are – they're just intrigued. They, you know, they see the storylines. I mean, look at West Ham, Manchester United the last weekend. That's a that's a phenomenal game, and you know, it seems like every single weekend there's another marquee matchup. You know, this week there's there's two arguably Tottenham playing Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal's not really a Premier League challenger, but you know, and then Chelsea playing. I, th- I believe it's Manchester City. I could I could be wrong on that one, but no, that's uh, right. yep. it seems like every week there's a marquee game, and it's not hard to make uh, programming and coverage about marquee games so mm-hmm. but and going back to your point about who i think is great on nbc I just, my first thought and my my best thought is probably rebecca Lowe, just because she is such a, a phenomenal uh, host yeah and i i agree i, I agree there i mean and uh, it's interesting too because like carl you interviewed uh, rebecca last week for a story that you're working on that's probably going to be out on worldsoccertalk.com in the next week or two but but Kartik, I mean, I mean, Kyle mentions Rebecca Lowe, but who for you has been the standout star so far this season on NBC's coverage? Tim Howard, hands down. I think he's been um, really on the money in a lot of his analysis, more analytical and tactical than the two Robbies. And, and in fact, I mean, that's uh, Robbie Mosto has been in the past very, very analytical, but then at times, you know, also very kind of reflexive and, and, and uh, uh, I don't want to say reactionary, that's a strong word, but very, uh, very uh, dour and, 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 and uh, hyperbolic in, in, in some of his analysis. But he is, uh, he's actually having a good, I think they're all having good years but uh, tim howard to me has raised his game to the top he's making really astute tactical analysis understanding kind of where there are um issues uh when at both at halftime and full-time with uh team setups what sort of changes need to be made in those uh teams now this is the sort of analysis quite honestly we didn't get from nbc the last few years i mean we were uh me especially disappointed in their studio programming i would say the last three seasons prior to this and, and particularly last season with the absence of Kyle Martino, who I, I felt was the best of their, their studio uh, uh, pundits, ex-player pundits. So Tim Howard has really raised this game this season. I think the other thing we're recognizing is NBC now sees that they have to give some more detailed analysis, tactical analysis, some discussion of player psychology and mentality. Those sorts of things seem to be, um, out the door the last few seasons, uh, with the exception of when Danny Higginbotham came in last season and provided that and uh, 
he's he's top class uh whether yep. he's a co-commentator or a studio pundit my concern about nbc the last few seasons is their overemphasis on the big four or five uh clubs and uh i would even uh, include that i felt like uh nbc was very uh, uh and it's odd saying this because arlo white's a lester fan but he calls the matches uh very biased against lester city uh in terms of their their push for the top four the last two seasons where everything was about chelsea and manchester united United, uh, or and then I guess Liverpool last season was was competing with Leicester. Very little about Leicester. Uh, if Leicester had injuries, which they had a whole injury ward at the end of the each of the last two seasons. I mean, incredible number of injuries. Uh, that wasn't talked about the same way that the one or two injuries Chelsea may have were talked about, or the one or two injuries Manchester United might have were talked about. So. Um, I want to see if there's more balance this season as it goes on. It's September. It's hard to make these judgments, but I think they've really improved uh, thus far this season through the first five weeks. All right. So we talked about the Premier League. We've talked about uh, Ligue 1. We've talked about La Liga. Uh, just one more thing I, I want to mention, and that's uh, Serie A, and that's uh, CBS's coverage of the, that league. Uh, Calcio e Cappuccino, which is their um, weekend show, which is – it's interesting to watch. If anyone hasn't had a chance to watch it yet, definitely check it out. It's uh, a lot of pre-match uh, build-up to the games. It's it's uh, a lot of Italian-Americans on set talking about their love for that league, talking about the storylines, the talking points, the tactical analysis, etc. It's interesting because like, this is a person I have I, I know of as a player but has n- have never seen on television. But Mike Greller to me, is their standout star. He, he, watching it last week had some really good tactical analysis. analysis, analysis. And what I found out later is that actually he's, uh, he was or is a, a scout for Major League Soccer. Uh, and that was really good. I, that was something I did not expect and was really impressed by. So if you haven't had a chance to watch Serie A much this season, definitely check out uh, Calcio e Cappuccino, which is usually on um, Paramount+. Plus. All right, so matches to watch this weekend. Uh, for me, I'll go first. Uh, Chelsea against Man City. I mean, that, to me, is an intriguing match. Saturday, 7.30 a.m. Eastern time on NBCSN, which is at the same time as Man United against Aston Villa. Um, the the Villa-United match had to be uh, moved because of, I think there was something going on, at either a concert or something. But anyway, Chelsea against Man City Saturday. I mean, that's a perfect way to start the weekend, I think. Uh, Kyle, what about you? What's your your pick for the weekend? I was kind of scared to pick this game, but I did say it's uh, Arsenal against Tottenham on Sunday at 11.30 on uh, NBCSN. I, I, I'm daring to say it. I think Arsenal's on a, a decent run of form. I think it's four wins in their last five games, obviously. There was a, a 5-0 loss in there against Manchester City, but we won't talk about that one. Uh, but, you know, you never go wrong with a North London derby. Uh, Tottenham, I think they're trying to bounce back after uh, getting, in my opinion, demolished at the hands of, of Chelsea last weekend. So I think it's an important game, a good litmus test for, for both teams, especially for Arsenal, who's you know already trying to make that, that slow and that grinding climb out of the, the bottom half of the Premier League. Yeah, and definitely a good win for them uh, midweek in the League Cup. Kartik, what about you, Kartik? What's your pick? I say uh, Gladbach-Dortmund because there'll be a ton of goals in this match just from an entertainment standpoint. Dortmund can't defend. It doesn't matter who their manager is. Uh, since Petr Bosch, or actually since the second year of Tomas Tuchel, uh, their defending has been uh, bad. So it's basically been five seasons in a row with, what, what is that, one, two, three, four, five different managers, uh, six managers, actually. Um 
the defending is still continues to be bad under uh, Marco Hosa, but uh, it, it, this is him against his uh, former side, and you're going to see, uh, I think, a very, very open, entertaining match, uh, 12.30 p.m. ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, last weekend's goal by uh, Erling Haaland. Uh, just his last goal in that game was just, I mean, incredible. If you haven't seen it, uh, definitely check that out. All right, moving on to TV streaming news. This is a story that uh, Kyle wrote about, but Kartik will have you talk about it because you have some uh, some additional insights into this one, which is an interesting story because it's a little bit different and not what we were expecting. So in the interest of full disclosure, let me preface that um, that Hellbiz is the shirt sponsor for Miami FC, who I used to be the communications director for and uh, uh, share some ownership. So I have some insight. Hellbiz uh, Media has the rights to Serie B and they have sold those rights in the United States to Fox. Uh, and so this gets Fox back into the European club game, albeit at the second division level in uh, in Italy. We don't know yet uh, necessarily where these matches will air, whether it will be potentially to be. Um, had a conversation with an industry analyst uh, actually this morning as we record this on Thursday, who tells me that Fox is very happy with the performance of Tubi. They bought the streaming service about a year and a half ago. I uh, did not expect such a return on their investment so quickly. And remember, Tubi is a free streaming service, which is completely supported by ad dollars, but that the ad dollars have been flowing in. And because there's such a library of, I guess, B-rate programming more than anything on Tubi, but uh, stuff you can't find elsewhere, that it's actually been very, very useful and successful for Fox. And now we're going to see more live programming moved over there and uh, Fox sitcoms, et cetera. Uh, And that Fox has targeted that demographic, that uh, 18 to 49-year-old demographic, and that Tubi as a streaming service is performing really well in that demographic as well. So uh, that's where I guess some of these matches will end up, and I think we might see Fox reemerge as a player for more rights because they have a streaming service that right now is free, but they have, they have the bandwidth on that streaming service to, to put uh, pro- properties someplace. It'll be interesting too because I mean another ad ad supported free streaming platform is Pluto TV, which is owned by CBS. But if you take a look at kind of the streaming landscape, and you look at I mean in terms of when it comes to sports, and you look at uh, or even entertainment, you look at I mean, ESPN Plus or Disney Plus uh, near the top with Paramount Plus and Peacock a little bit further down, and so on and so forth. And then kind of the bottom tier would be the the Pluto TV and the Tubi. And although Tubi looks like they're going to be adding more and more sports, it's it would be easy for Tubi and or Pluto TV if they wanted to to add on a paid uh, kind of uh, package option if you want to go ahead and get Tubi on sports and get MLS games and Serie B, pay five bucks a month and, and here you go. Or they could keep it on on that uh, that, that ad free supported uh, platform, but yeah, it's it'll be an interesting one to watch this one to see what they what Fox does because, I mean, they're probably not going to put uh, Serie B games on FS1 or FS2, uh, maybe Fox Soccer Plus, maybe, but probably not. So maybe Tubi is is the place for that. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. And, and Kyle, going from that the the highs of Serie B uh, now to um, the highs of the Premier League, you've got some news about this weekend. Yeah, uh, the Saturday game, the Saturday morning game, I should say, between Manchester United and Aston Villa is going to have Andres Cantor uh, commentating a Premier League match, and it's going to be in English for the first time. 
Uh, he's going to be working with uh, Robbie Earl, who's going to be on co-commentary. But and this is a pretty big deal because Andres Cantor, I think everybody knows, is, in my opinion, we're you know definitely one of the uh, more known Spanish commentators. He's he's got such a recognizable voice, and you know his past work, uh, commentating World Cups, uh, Copa Americas, everything in between. He's just in the face, the voice you think of when you hear uh, Spanish broadcasts and. He's going to be doing this in English, uh, the Manchester United-Aston Villa game. That's going to be on Peacock at 7.30. Um, but, yeah, really interesting, uh, really big deal to have him on and be able to call a game for the Premier League and on Peacock just because, like I said, he is such a recognizable voice in the industry. Yeah, so the, the, moving on, there's, there was a big announcement this week uh, from CONCACAF, and that was the expansion of the uh, CONCACAF Champions League, but also the expansion of the uh, League's Cup, which is the uh, tournament that takes place between Major League Soccer and uh, Liga MX from Mexico. And uh, nowadays, League's Cup, the way it's it's set up is it doesn't involve every team, but they made a big announcement this week that uh, League's Cup will be uh, starting, I think, next year, I think it is, uh, next summer. Um, both MLS and Liga MX will be taking off a month from their seasons and then having a World Cup-style tournament featuring all the teams from Liga MX and all the teams from Major League Soccer uh, participating in what we would imagine would be a round-robin tournament uh, to ultimately find the winner in that competition. Now, I guess in a way it sounds sounds like this could be interesting – I, I see some benefits in it, in, in it, in that uh, it will be an inter- interesting uh, competition to watch. Uh, Kartik, what's your take on this one? I'm uh, super excited about it. I, let's first off get out, get out of the way because if you don't say it, then uh, people who I tend to agree with 99% of the time say I'm a, uh, a subversive and a counter-revolutionary, etc. So, yes, this is a cash grab for Soccer United marketing. No question about it. But that doesn't mean I can't enjoy the tournament. <laughs> Uh, just because there may be sinister motives for creating the tournament. I think this is going to be fantastic. This could be the best club competition on the planet. Wow. <laughs> wow, Kartik. So for me, League's Cup, for me... The, the, the... And I could explain why I think it could be, but that's <laughs> we can get back to that in a minute. Right. So League's Cup, to me, the, the way what I translate it into is three words, and that is International Champions Cup. And what this is, is Liga MX and MLS saying like, hey, every summer, and it hasn't happened in a while due to COVID and I mean, and uh, Copa America and Euros and stuff like that. But every summer, here's all these teams from, from you know, Europe that come to the United States. And usually during the month of July and early August, they play these games. I mean, Real Madrid against Man United, still, I think, the, the record breaker for the most... Uh, most fans to watch a, a game, a soccer game in the United States, over 100,000 people. I mean, all these people come in, making a ton of money. For the most part, sold out stadiums, but some, it's in the last couple of years of the tournament. I mean, definitely attendance has been lagging. But, but I mean, what can Liga MX and MLS do to basically compete against that and, and push out International Champions Cup and say, hey, guys, there's, there's too much going on. There's not enough space for your... I mean, Real Madrid's and AC Milan's and Barcelona's, etc. That's my take on this. It's just it's purely a way to drive that business out. What about you, Kylie? Are you? I mean, are you intrigued by the the, the concept of the tournament? 
Yeah, I'm always intrigued by, you know, more games. I think what Kartik said is a, a money grabs is probably true. Let's, let's be honest here. But, you know, like he also added, I'm still going to watch it. It's still a competition that should be interesting. Um, I think MLS and Liga MX, them working together is obviously beneficial for both as they're both trying to grow their game, both in the States and, and worldwide. Um, so having that international competition is going to be able to bring a lot of viewers and I think a lot of people, um, you have to correct me if I'm wrong here, Chris, but is this going to include every team in MLS and Liga MX? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so I think that just bringing in more teams and having them all have an opportunity to play these games that, you know, international games, you know, we're going to be going abroad. It's it's just a different kind of experience that a lot of these fans, especially for the newer MLS teams, I think is something that's going to be able to grow them pretty uh, pretty dramatically early on in their existence. All right, Kartik, we're probably in a future episode, maybe get, get more of your in-depth uh, League's Cup expansion discussion or analysis. But let's move on to the next news item because we have a lot, lot to get to in the list of the mailbag. And, and the, the next news item is more of a question about the World Cup. I mean, it's been a hot topic last week and this week about uh, uh, FIFA's plans to go ahead and, and ask Ask the question: I mean, Is there a, a need for uh, having a World Cup uh, every two years instead of every four years? And, and let me go ahead and actually just play a clip here. This is a clip from uh, Fox Sports, and I think it would, it would have been last week when they were doing uh, one of the games, maybe one of the MLS games. And Alexi Lalas talks about uh, his thoughts about the idea of uh, playing a World Cup every two years because he was invited to uh, Doha. Uh, to go ahead and share his, I mean, to hear what was said. So let, let me play that clip right now. The main purpose of the conference was to unveil a plan for the World Cup to be held every two years. So take us inside that room, if you're allowed. Oh, oh absolutely. Uh, it, it was really interesting uh, to be with those folks. It was also interesting to be in Qatar, where we will be next week for the World Cup. Uh, so far, so good. Really interesting country and uh, culture. But when it comes to this, uh, this was thinking about the future of the game and maybe some dramatic changes in the future of the game. Uh, and the proposal from, uh, from FIFA, when I say FIFA, headed up by Arsene Wenger, you know, less games, uh, more competitive games, less travel, more rest, and then obviously the, um, the, the uh, World Cup every couple of years. And I went in with an open mind, also recognizing that I'm being wined and dined and uh, <laughs> keeping an open mind, like I said, because I recognize that this is a big thing and that there are multiple sides. And I want to make sure that I'm educated before I give you know any type of public statement as to whether this is whether this is uh, right or wrong and there are different sides um, and, and there's a lot of I'm not gonna get into the into the weeds of it but you know ultimately when I think about this I'm sitting on this stage with you guys uh, and I was in Doha because of what the World Cup did I lived the power of a World Cup and it changed my life forever and so having a World Cup every couple of years yes there is the argument that it's going to lose some of its luster lose some of its prestige but in this fast-paced world I'm not necessarily sure that's that's going to happen and who am I to say that a player uh, can't have that same experience and more players now because it's happening every couple of years I haven't I haven't made up my mind and this is a really interesting type of thing and there's obviously a lot of reaction going on right now around the world and there's going to continue to be talk about this but I know how powerful the World Cup is and I would never want to take that away from somebody else having that type of experience well, I'll tell you yeah go so it's interesting too because um, the way that 
Alexi Lalas is positioning this, and it's not just Alexi Lalas, but this is this is Fox. This is Fox's lead analyst. The way that they're positioning this is that, uh, of, of course, let's let's take a look at uh, at it and let's evaluate the options. Let, let's talk about it. Let's be let's be kind of uh, open minded. Let, let's talk about this. Uh, for me, Kartik, Kyle, maybe too. Uh, if, if you disagree, let me know. But. I think this is sort of a, a premeditated uh, way of really pushing this, saying, okay, hey, here's the information. And we're still thinking about it. We haven't made up our mind yet. We haven't said publicly how we feel about it. But you know, at the end of the day, guaranteed behind closed doors, they're like, hey, let's make this thing happen. This is an opportunity to go ahead and have a World Cup every two years, make more money, get more rights to these games perhaps in the future. This is going to, going to be a cash cow for FIFA. We're all in. Just, but, but we're going to pad it. We're going to position it as in we're listening. We're thinking about it. We're evaluating. We're open to, to ideas, which is exactly the same way that FIFA is doing it too. Where they're saying like, hey, we want to hear from fans. If fans are interested in this or not, let us know. We're, we're, we're open to this. I, am I being a cynic here, uh, gentlemen, or, um, <laughs> or not? Yeah, I think it's a foregone conclusion that that FIFA is going to push this, and I think the the knock on effect is going to be pretty dramatic. You're going to see numbers of players uh, who are at high level, who are high level players in club football probably opt out of the international game for, for periods of time because of the increased strain of qualifying of, of competitions every summer, because then presumably continental competitions will be in the summers in between. Uh, we've already dealt with that in North America because we have a gold cup every two years. Although, you know, oftentimes you see B teams called into gold cups uh, for, uh, for the top countries. We saw that in, in 20, uh, 2019, uh, excuse me, in 2017 and in 2013, those were basically B gold cups uh, for, at least the top six or eight CONCACAF sides. So um, I think it's a foregone conclusion. I also think it's going to have terrible ramifications for club football and effectively uh, really put a, a, a premium on, uh, on, on player decisions and, and players uh, maybe opting out of international uh, competition and, and, and evaluating their health and when they want to play and when they don't want to play. Because uh, keep in mind, while the international game might be more lucrative from a media perspective, media rights perspective, and FIFA making money, it is less lucrative from a player and agent perspective. And when those two pressures come up against each other, something's going to crack. All right, Kyle, tell, tell us where we're wrong on this one. I honestly, I don't know if I can say that you're wrong. I think that... I think Kartik's right. It's a foregone conclusion that FIFA is going to be pushing for this. And, you know, the, the media rights holders, they're not going to say no. It's, I mean, sure, it'll be an expensive, expensive, expensive bid. But, I mean, people are still going to watch. They'll say they'll be against the World Cup every two years. I'm, I'm one of them. I think that it's, it waters down the significance of the, the tournament. It, it puts a strain on players. And like Kartik says, it's going to make player decisions to forego uh, international duty. I think... That, you know, but the, the media rights holders, they're not going to say no. People are still going to watch and they're going to pay money because they know that fans, despite, you know, saying that I'm not going to watch this, they're still going to watch. People are going to want to watch Spain play Brazil because it's a marquee game. It features marquee players. Even if, you know, the one or two stars for those teams aren't there, it's still a good game. And I think it's a shame that FIFA is pushing for this. I know that there are some. 
supporters, and obviously there are uh, those are a lot of people against. It's just, uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how how FIFA, not only FIFA, but also the media rights holders push it because you know Fox, they like you said, Chris, they are kind of like, yeah, we're going to give it a look, we're going to see what it's like, but behind behind closed doors, that you know they're already saying we want this, we want this bad because. Yep. It's just so much money involved with the World Cup, and every two years, you know, it might be less money per World Cup, but I think the grand total is just going to skyrocket in that regard. Yeah, to me, it's a premeditated propaganda PR campaign by FIFA, and... uh I think it was, I think it was Stu Holden on uh, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago was like, "Hey, let's talk about this. Let's be open minded about this. Let's, let's listen to what uh, FIFA has to say." And, and all at the same time, I mean, Stu Holden is uh, what head of the U.S. Athletes Council. I mean, is definitely I mean works for Fox. I mean, and that's the thing though too is that uh, if it was a World Cup every two years. Fox probably feels it has a good opportunity to actually get the rights to that tournament because, I mean, it's it's paid. I mean, FIFA uh, over a billion dollars uh, in in TV revenue to get all these World Cups from the eighteen to the twenty twenty two to the twenty twenty six, and I mean, a World Cup every two years is should be if the U.S. qualifies should be a a, a cash machine for Fox for U.S. soccer for FIFA FIFA especially. At the end of the day, to me, this is FIFA driving this. This is FIFA saying, like, hey, what can we do to increase the amount of money that we can generate for the organization? Because we've lost a lot of money in the last several years, uh, losing big-time uh, sponsorship deals with Coca-Cola and, and some big brands. What can we do? And and this is their answer. This is the answer to say, okay, hey, World Cup every two years, that's going to help us big time on the revenue side. And then everything beneath that f- falls in line. Fox uh, says, yeah, this make it happen. CONCACAF says, yeah, this make it happen. And then ultimately, uh, I mean, in the next few weeks, I mean, you will have a Lalas or a Stu Holden and they'll probably come out publicly and say, hey, yes, yeah, yeah, we, we support this. This makes a lot of sense for us be- for- because of these reasons. Uh, even though it's ultimately FIFA is the one that's really, really uh, using these people's puppets, really. I mean, that, that that's my my take on it. Let's move on to Listener Mailbag. We've got a lot to get to. Nick is up first. Nick says, thanks as always for doing the pod. It's a must listen every week. And I, un- I understand why the Premier League is able to outdo the major European leagues in international broadcast deals due to production value, brand value. Uh, English as an international language, etc. But why is the Premier League domestic TV deal so much larger than its European counterparts? Spain and Italy can be explained by smaller populations and lower household income. France has always lagged behind the others in club football popularity. But Germany, for example, really makes no sense to me. Germany, Germany's population is 25% larger than the UK's and has a higher household income. It is equally, if not more, soccer mad, if anything, has uh, fewer mainstream sports competing for attention and doesn't have a blackout window keeping 30% of games off air. Yet, despite all of this, the Premier League's domestic TV deal is worth over 50% more than what the Bundesliga gets. Presumably, the values are directly related to how much revenue broadcasters believe will be generated by holding the rights. So how is it that despite all of these factors, Sky UK is willing to pay 50% more than Sky Deutschland? It seems to me that either the Premier League rights are overvalued in the UK 
or domestic rights are undervalued on the continent? What am I missing? And Nick, um, great feedback, let, let right? Me, oh, sorry. Yeah, oh. no, no. I, I was just saying great feedback by Nick. Some really, really good yeah. questions there, uh, Kartik. Yeah, so let me jump in on this. Uh, first off, I agree historically the domestic TV rights package for the Premier League um, has been overvalued. However, the Premier League was founded uh, with the uh, with, with, with the goal by David Dean and Lord Sugar in particular. Those were the two real driving forces on the TV side of maximizing TV rights deals. Originally, they had gone to ITV uh, when they had talked about the breakaway league, and then Scott was willing to pay more because Sky wanted to get uh, in households, they wanted to get in bars, they wanted people buying their satellite systems. So it kind of built from there. Now, what I would say has happened recently is we're seeing domestic rights in the UK for the Premier League beginning to top off, which is why I think Amazon has entered the picture because the Premier League is seeing Sky uh, Sky UK, uh, B Sky B, and uh, BT. Uh, now it's BT, right? At one time it was Satanta uh, with that other rights deal, are not willing to pay anything more. The, the, the growth in popularity of the Premier League is not growing uh, the way it did exponentially in terms of television uh, ad dollars, etc., new signups for Sky satellite systems, etc., as it did before. Versus, I think in Germany, you're beginning to see the rights escalate. DAZN came in this last domestic rights cycle and paid uh, a lot more than anyone expected and more than Sky Deutschland has traditionally paid. So I think you're going to see that Germany number start to climb uh, and be comparable to England in time uh, in terms of domestic rights deals for their leagues. Now, you make great points about France. France football is not the most popular sport. Uh, it's not the top sport in the country. Italy and Spain, household income is lower. And um, there are actually also, I think, uh, uh, other recreational interests in those countries. They're not as football mad. As as successful as they've been and as uh, great as, as much as well as their top clubs are supported in Spain and Italy and in France to a lesser extent, those three countries are not – as football mad as uh, England and Germany. So England and Germany are good comparisons. You make some great points, Nick, but I think it's going to even out in the next 10 years would be my prediction. And I think we already saw in the last negotiation for this current three rights, three year rights cycle deal in the UK, the beginning of that number uh, of that rights the values of those rights domestically stagnating while the recently completed deal in Germany saw an escalation in value. So I, I think they're going to they're going to meet each other at some point. So Chris says, uh, when it comes to NBC's future with the Premier League, I agree with uh, Chris's analysis that the TV and streaming sides are at odds with each other over how to proceed in terms of bidding. This infighting was one of the main reasons why NBC lost the NHL to both ESPN and Turner, because NBC could not decide on the amount of games they wanted to put on linear TV and streaming. If NBC loses the Premier League, in my view, then they need to go after the rights to Major League Soccer, because if they don't, they will end up in the same position as Fox, um, as when it comes to soccer with the Spanish rights to the World Cup, the Olympics, and Liga MX uh, via Chivas, but that's it. Michael says, uh, great podcast. Thanks for the insights. 
haven't thought about uh, HBO Max with a possibility to air matches on TNT or TBS owned by Warner Media, it seems with the continual transition of linear to streaming, so many of the EPL audience has been caught in the middle. I know the general US soccer audience is going to streaming, but NBC built their EPL fan base on linear cable over the years. If this was five years from now, the decision for EPL to go all in on a streaming solution in the US would be a, a uh, would be an easy one. This will be very interesting uh, decision by the Premier League, and maybe the driving force will be the highest bid, coupled with the growth of streaming and not initially uh, losing audience from traditional cable subscribers as streaming continues to mature and grow. JP says, it seems like uh, if you two were handicapping this decision about the Premier League, it's ESPN or CBS in the lead. If an Amazon type doesn't swoop in, the fact is, at this point, it does not bode well for NBC Sports. As you mentioned, if they're struggling with the current uh, contract to profit and drive uh, Peacock subscriptions, then uh, they very well could be put in. They could very well put in a token bid. Uh, they know won't win and walk away. That is what they did with the NHL. Everyone speculated it meant that there are that they're all in on the Premier League, but maybe just the start of their non-NFL retreat from uh, live sports. If that's true, I actually can see the justification. Sports rights fees are spiraling out of control. At some point, it's not worth it. Worth it. If there's not a critical mass of viewers like the NFL and big-time college football, if EPL still wants that air of exclusivity, they might be better off with CBS over ESPN, provided the bids are in the same range. Shared with Serie A, but no one, not even a Serie A fan like myself, would see it as a threat to peel off EPL viewers in the short or long run. In addition, if the Premier League compares what CBS has done with studio coverage for their properties versus ESPN, they know CBS will provide an excellent product that will make the Premier League feel important. Plus, CBS Sports Network has more room to simulcast matches than ESPN does. Kartik, that's an interesting um, discussion, too, because if CBS gets the Premier League, what happens to Serie A? If ESPN gets the Premier League, what happens to La Liga? Yeah, I think with ESPN, we've seen each subsequent property has gotten more attention. So I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, Serie A fans were complaining a year ago at this time, much like Bundesliga fans are complaining now, that uh, all of a sudden ESPN, Bundesliga is a shiny new toy. They don't care about Serie A. And now we see that with La Liga versus the Bundesliga. That's what will happen. Inevitably, the Premier League comes in. Now with CBS... um, yeah, it's going to it's particularly for those Sunday kickoffs that would be pushed to CBS Sports Network uh, with uh, CBS Network Television being uh, completely NFL driven on Sundays in fall and then uh, college basketball and golf uh, Sundays throughout much of the rest of the year. You would see that being CBS Sports Network. Well, CBS Sports Network then is going to conflict directly with Serie A and uh, uh, the, uh, the the magazine program we talked about earlier in the uh, in the show that they're showing actually at 1130 on Sunday when you have a Premier League usually kicking off its biggest match of the weekend. Uh, so that's uh, that's a potential I- issue there. I do think uh, 
Premier League fans who complained about Peacock uh, need to get used to the idea that more and more of this is going to be on streaming. Although, however, I, I let me point this out really quickly, Chris. Three years ago, uh, or two years ago, whenever the Peacock thing started, uh, or when NBC Sports Gold started, I should say, and then Peacock, we would get a lot of listener mailbag uh, complaints about uh, all of these matches going to streaming, not having the uh, Premier League uh, extra time, right, that that whole uh, set match on DirecTV and on Comcast uh, anymore. Now I think the complaints, now, now Premier League fans are used to streaming, the complaints are that Peacock doesn't show every match, that you buy a streaming service and yet you still don't know if the game's going to be on NBCSN, if it's going to be on USA, if it's going to be on CNBC, if it's going to be NBC over the air. So uh, I don't think there's as much of an aversion to streaming as maybe we had thought a year or two ago. Now the, now the problem is if you're mixing and matching and you're putting things in different places and you don't even know when games will be on demand. So Peacock matches are available on demand immediately on Peacock after full time. Matches that are shown on a broadcast network are not available for 24 hours after the conclusion of the match on Peacock. And that's causing more confusion than than anything, quite honestly, these first five weeks of the season. So, so Kyle, you're a big uh, college football fan as well as a big uh, soccer fan. Uh, if you had to pick um, your preference for the, 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 the U.S. Um, television network that, that you feel – uh, is your favorite? I mean, whether it's uh, ABC, CBS, uh, Fox, or uh, forgetting one, <laughs> what's NB- NBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, or Fox? I mean, do you have a favorite among those four for kind of overall sports coverage? I would say for overall sports coverage, um, well, it's hard to say. Um, see, I'm a I'm a Florida fan, as you mentioned, a Florida Gators football fan. So a lot of their marquee games are on CBS. For example, the Alabama game I was at was on CBS. And I think if you had asked me this um, a couple of years ago, maybe even a year ago at this rate, I probably would have said NBC. I'm a, I'm a big hockey fan as well. So the hockey combined with the Premier League combined with the likes of the Olympics, it was really just they had all the sports that – I was interested in, but now we see these rights going elsewhere, the NHL flipping over to Turner. Uh, so I, if I had to say one, I think honestly I would say ABC. Um, they have, in my opinion, a, a good variety, and uh, I say that with uh, air quotes, but I mean they have they have football, which I'm a fan of. They have some baseball sometimes. Uh, I think they'll be getting some hockey in the coming years, um, so – and I know that if the Premier League were to go over to ESPN, they would put some games on ABC, just like uh, ESPN did put uh, La Liga games on you know, their linear networks, or I should say ESPN, at the beginning of this season. So I think that one right now, ABC is probably my favorite, and especially if ESPN can get their hands on the Premier League rights, then it'll only bolster that position. Yeah, it just goes to show how much of a big deal this uh, TV rights uh, deal that's currently being uh, bid on uh, is I mean, if if ABC and ESPN got that, I mean that would be transformative, um, even bigger than what they already are bigger, right? It's just that they would be taking over, um, vice versa for any of these networks. This is a massive, massive deal. Moving on, uh, Christopher says, I think it's simple for the Premier League: stay with NBC 
and stream on Peacock. To me, it would it would seem stability is important and keeping your product on a channel that you have been on for some years is positive because everybody knows now knows if you want to watch the Premier League, get Peacock and watch on N, uh, on on NBC or USA. It's promised to be shown on a cable uh, channel and streamed. And as we see, La Liga is not getting much exposure beyond ESPN Plus, not compared to the Premier League. And and there's definitely, I mean, going back to kind of that first uh, segment we talked about, we talked about the kind of the poor timing, unfortunate timing of uh, ESPN and La Liga. At the end of the day, the, 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 the games I've watched from La Liga this season hasn't been that interesting. It's, um, I mean, the level of soccer is not that good for the most part. I mean, there's definitely there's been some blowouts. Um, but it's not, I think, a league that's coming up in just general conversation among soccer fans right now. There's not, I mean, yes, as far as Barcelona's just kind of uh, fall from grace, but um, I don't know. It's just, just not, yeah, not, not the sexiest you, of leagues. But you don't have, uh, so I think this is the problem with La Liga. You haven't had, in fact, I had a, a colleague of mine who's a soccer guy. I'm working on a soccer project with him the other day, asking me about BN Sports and thought that they were like 11 sports. And I told him La Liga had been on BN Sports the last eight seasons. And he's like, well, I guess it's because I don't watch La Liga because it's not interesting and the same teams win it every year. Um, yet that same person would argue with, would tell me, hey, Serie A is more interesting because we've seen AC Milan fall to eighth place in the league. We're seeing Juventus. They came back yesterday, but it looked like they were <laughs> going to be stuck in the, in the drop zone after, after five fixtures. So um, what's happened in La Liga is you've never had Real Madrid or Barcelona fall out of the top three in this era. So that gives um, soccer fans uh, who are Premier League driven, uh, admittedly, English language dominant Premier League fans, this sort of reason to just dismiss La Liga and say, hey, it's not interesting. Uh, so it would actually be really good if Sevilla won the league this year somehow. And I think that would that would help make wow. uh, La Liga more compelling to the average fan. Because I have people tell me that even when I say, hey, Juventus won uh, Serie A every year for eight straight years, those same people come back at me and say, yeah, but Milan fell to eighth, Inter fell to sixth. We saw Roma finish second. We saw Napoli finish second. We see Atalanta on the top four uh, quite often. We saw Udinese push at one point. Spain hasn't had that. Now, I actually believe Spain top to bottom was the best league in the world as recently as two or three years ago. Um, Premier League fans don't want to admit that. But um, these things, you have to you have to convince people in 30 seconds to a minute as to why Spain is more interesting and the football is more interesting. And you just can't do it. So that's, I think, a, a problem for ESPN. I think it. I think it's it's a bigger problem than that, the Arctic. I, I think even if I mean Lille won the uh, Ligue 1 last season, but I don't think yes, we've seen yes. an increase in number of people watching Ligue, Ligue 1 this season. Well, maybe True. because if Monaco won it recently, also, which people right. forget. And and La Liga. I mean, you look at La Liga as a product, and you watch the games. The coverage is good. The production value is great. Uh, there are some really interesting stories as far as the teams. I mean, whether it's the I mean, Athletic being in the Basque region, in, in Barcelona, in the Catalan region, and there's different regional differences that are interesting. But there's no Americans playing in, in the league. Um, I, I I just don't get the sense that there's a lot of people talking about La Liga. I, I mean, when it's when it's Barcelona and Real Madrid winning everything, the super teams playing. I mean, two of the best teams in the world um, at that time when they were on top with Messi and Ronaldo. I think people were talking about it much more then than they are now. 
And and even if Sevilla win the title, I, I just don't get the sense that it's going to make much of a difference when you have the Premier League basically monopolizing almost everything. It seems to be it from from a world soccer perspective. So so Kyle can can uh, really appreciate this analogy. To me, the Premier League, and I've said this for years on the show, but Kyle hasn't been on the show previously, so uh, or at least with me at the same time. Uh, the Premier League is the SEC, and the way it markets itself, the way that it has uh, convinced fans that it is the the SEC in college football, not in college basketball. That would be the ACC in college basketball uh, more than any other league. But the way the SEC has convinced fans that it's the it's the uh, the A grade product. So I think wherever the Premier League is, soccer fans will go. Just like I think for college football purposes, CBS losing the SEC is pretty devastating for them for their brand in that sport in particular and uh those fans are going to gravitate to espn and abc now they've they've had espn's had sec games also but the top game has been on cbs now for since 1996 25 years um so i think it's very similar with the fans in the u.s they always identified the premier league as that a great product because it was marketed better than the other leagues now i would argue it wasn't the best league uh in the world whereas the sec has been the best college football conference since the late 90s um but now it is the best league in the world and it's got the marketing might so really tough times for for other leagues and i think the, the promise of ESPN and what ESPN can do to market you in the U.S. really uh, force La Liga to make this change. But unfortunately, it just may not uh, it may not pay off the way they had hoped. It is an eight year deal or nine year deal. So um, maybe things change in a couple of seasons. But I think for, for a while, we're going to be having this conversation where the Premier League is in the ascendancy and La Liga is not really relevant to as many uh, soccer fans in this country as maybe it should be, or maybe we would hope it would be. So, Kyle, is there any train that can stop uh, the Premier League, that, that kind of that uh, monopolization in terms of, uh, you mean, it's, it's the league that most people talk about in the U.S.? Yeah, I don't think there's any stopping that train right now. I think the SEC to the Premier League analogy is perfect because, you know, once the SEC got rolling, they were like, all right, we have the power, we're just going to build on it. And I think right now they have a stranglehold on the rest of college football, despite, you know, the Big Ten making a push. And now there's like some allegiance forming between the teams outside of the SEC, whatever. But uh, and then the Premier League, you know, their teams, the teams that are in the Premier League, know that they have the power because, <clears throat> you know, the top six, uh, you know, even though you could throw Arsenal in that mix, I think they still have a lot of a lot of power in terms of media and broadcasting, but maybe they might not be the best on the field. I think those top six still have control, and I think that there's no stopping them and stopping the Premier League from taking the reins the same way the SEC did in terms of, you know, total European control or domination in terms of broadcasting rights. All right. All right. Let's move on. Two more comments to go. Uh, Jason says, in addition to streaming services, uh, soccer growth can be contributed to YouTube channels as well. CBS and NBC provide great highlights package of games. You can get highlights from smaller leagues, um, teams in nations such as England and Scotland. Also, the talk and commentary side has grown the most uh, centering around the U.S. men's national team. 
And I, I'd agree there. I mean, most when, when I talk about streaming services, uh, YouTube's one that we often kind of uh, don't even mention. We don't even think of it as being in the same category. I probably watch more YouTube than I do ESPN Plus or Disney Plus or Paramount Plus or whatever, just just for pure entertainment. It's just, I mean, a lot of YouTube uh, channels and you mean that I watch and I enjoy that that uh, are very and, and it's targeted to me like whatever I watch they make recommendations based on that and we don't get that as much with uh, ESPN Plus y- yes ESPN Plus should know by now that you mean the three of us and and listeners are mad soccer fans we love to watch uh, these types of games this team this league whatever it may be and in the suggestions it seems to be it's still a bunch of stuff I'm like I have no interest in this at all. <laughs> Yeah, Jason makes a great point because I think there's a subculture around USMNT in particular that's grown up on YouTube, which is uh, which is really interesting. A lot of the discussions that were previously on Twitter or on other social media platforms have now about the national team specifically, not about soccer in general. Twitter is still the king for soccer in general, but uh, soccer conversations have gravitated to YouTube about the U.S. men's national team. So that's a that's a great point, Jason. And I, I've noticed that in the last six to nine months that there's been a gravitation. Of, of people, uh, national team focused people to, to YouTube, which is uh, uh, maybe a trend for all of soccer. Maybe it's just exclusive to, to uh, uh, U.S. soccer. Yeah, speaking of YouTube, we're actually World Soccer Talk is getting ready in the next week or two to uh, debut a new uh, video interview series that's going to be hosted by Kyle. Carl, do you want to just give it like kind of a a brief glimpse into uh, what the concept of the show is and uh, who the first guest may be? Yeah, for sure. Um, So the concept we have is uh, kind of like a show and tell, everybody's favorite thing from from grade school. So we're going to have on members of the soccer media, maybe former players uh, or, uh, you know, just people involved in the in the realm of soccer. And we're going to have them show one or two things that they find unique and that could be anything from um a jersey that they have that was given to them or you know uh, a a boot that you know means something to them and then chris and i were talking about possible things i know chris showed me a a trading card signed by neymar it's things that not everybody would know or think of in terms of soccer but they are in that regard unique and it's a really interesting thing we already had one guest on he's a he works for espn he's a a really great guy. We talked. We sat down and talked for 45 minutes, and uh, he showed me a, a handful of items that he has collected over his career, or things that he's worked on over his career. And it's just, uh, it's a really good way to to find out more about people. And I think, kind of building off of what Chris and Kartik said, is YouTube. I think it's my f- like. Let me just say, uh, my friends and I talk about which social media we think is the most important, and I always say, if you count YouTube, it has to be YouTube because. YouTube's kind of in a little gray area, you know. They're still a social media. Anyone can post to YouTube, and anyone can comment or do anything on YouTube. But now you see, NBC puts their entire highlight reels on YouTube. I know the Russian Premier League; they broadcast all of their games on YouTube. We've seen other entire games on YouTube, and I think YouTube TV just builds on that. But it also grows audiences because we see the likes of the England national team. Uh, they post just training videos for like 15 minutes that allow fans to see the inside and kind of get to know the players. And we see the U.S., they post like entire compilations of their trips to, say, Honduras, where they show, you know, Greg Berhalter or the players in the locker room just talking. And it allows the players to kind of see more about what's going on and, you know, tie it all together. 
I think the upcoming thing we have for World Soccer Talk that's kind of like a, a show-and-talk series is uh, a good way for you as an audience to get to know members of the soccer media more than you would just by watching them on your TV screen. Yeah, and for me, I, like, like my personal club, you know, I have I follow their YouTube channel or subscribe to their YouTube channel, and because of that, I'm able to watch um, U23 highlights. I'm able to watch the press conferences, uh, and and that's just one tiny little iota of all the d- different types of content that YouTube has. And um, yeah, like you mentioned, Kyle, uh, a lot of games on there from the Russian Premier League as well as. Uh, DAZN recently doing the deal for the uh, UEFA Women's Champions League uh, competition where the games will be available through there for free. So that's that's one to uh, to look out for as far as potential additional st- um, rights acquisition in the future. Having said that, though, I, th- I think Google is very focused on the bottom line. I mean, they make tons of money, but they don't seem to be kind of the type of company that goes out and spends $2 billion on rights to the Premier League. Although, I mean, it would be a game changer for sure. Last up is Dave. Dave says this is in reference to a long running complaint from many of your listeners regarding the decision from some broadcasters like ESPN Plus, uh, for example, to not air games from smaller teams or leagues uh, unless their people can call it. While on the the one hand, I get it uh, because they want to only air matches that look top notch. But on the other, do they not have any interns who will need and want the experience? I'm sure only the soccer nerds who uh, will want to watch the majority of these second division games. Uh, But it'll be helpful. Uh, It will help us feel a little less cheated because right now we're getting we're not getting every match like they were advertising. Throw those kids a few hundred bucks. They'll probably suck, but at least we can watch those games. And, and this is something I, I followed up with ESPN. So I, th- I think a few weeks ago, uh, talking about the, the second division of the Bundesliga. And, and why is there fewer games available this season compared to last? Um, I didn't get a lot of information from them, but I did get some, some feedback, which is that they never promised that they were going to show every game. They didn't specify how many games they were going to show, and they did. They are showing some games. So I think last weekend there was one game. Uh, I haven't looked at this weekend's schedule, but maybe there's one game. Um, but I think Dave's point about maybe it's not interns, but th- there's certainly a lot of talent at ESPN. Uh, and there's, yeah, I don't know, Kartik, what do you think? Should they Chris, go for this it? Is an interesting, this is really interesting because I, I've been. Uh, we're, of doing working on a project as many of the things I do as our listeners know related to lower divisions in the United States and been talking to people and there is a a growing sentiment among lower division fans and by lower division I mean USL and lower NISA um, NPSL UPSL etc that maybe they should stream games without the commentators because a lot of commentators are either too raw because then they're being assigned to these lower division games or uh, they know nothing about the teams involved because they're lower division teams or have some sort of contempt for it. So uh, that's that's actually kind of a growing sentiment in the U.S. fan culture at the lower division level. Ah, just show us the stream. Uh, we just want to see the match. We don't need a commentator who's maybe an MLS snob or a Premier League snob commenting on a NISA match. Um, 
I wonder if that if if that approach could be taken with lower divisions. Now that we're talking about Bundesliga two, obviously, uh, and and the Segunda both being on on ESPN and uh, Serie B being on uh, on Fox. If maybe in some cases when you don't have commentators, it's okay because the people who are watching those matches tend to be really educated about their clubs anyway. It's not like the casual audience you get for top division games, whether it's MLS or Premier League or or Bundesliga uh, one, etc. I think it's okay to have the game stream without commentators for, you mean, like a, like a second division Italian game or a second division German game. Because if you do have somebody that's a uh, relatively a novice to, say, the, the second division of the Bundesliga, chances are they go, they're not going to get the pronunciation of the names correctly. And especially the, the second division, of the German Bundesliga, I mean, there's going to be a whole host of different names. And it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for us. I mean, it's, we, we love and breathe the game, but it's, I mean, pronunciations are, are key. And you can imagine, too, that, uh, I mean, if there was a, a commentator that made a big mistake about a uh, pronunciation, they'd get grilled. They, they'd get I mean, flamed over on social media. So, but but I think it's okay. I mean, to me, I would like. I mean, if it's the second division uh, uh, team or league, I'd be okay with the sounds. You mean the crowd noise and watching the games? It's not going to be that as entertaining for the neutral. Well, what do you think, Kyle? I think I. I this reminds me of when the when the game started back up after the the pandemic stoppage, and when there was no crowd noise and you could hear the players in the field. There was like occasional moments where NBC's Premier League commentators wouldn't be talking or there were just technical difficulties. And I honestly kind of prefer it that way. I think NBC has great commentators and they provide good analysis. But there's just a different style of enjoyment when you can hear the players communicate. You can hear them screaming. And then you can also, you can also say that when fans are involved, they add something to the game. And I, I like watching games that don't have commentators. So if you are watching these lower league games, say in the Bundesliga 2 or uh, Segunda Division in uh, Spain. I think that just having the game play out and then listening to the crowd, it just makes you feel more like you're there. And that, I mean, it's all kinds of things that are going to impact whether or not you're, you feel like you're there, your, your level of enjoyment. But I think that there's certain logistical issues that broadcasters have to overcome in terms of broadcasting games. But I agree. I think that if you just throw out uh, the game without commentary, just listen to the fans, listen to the players if if necessary, I think that is an enjoyable way to experience a game. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's definitely, and I I appreciate being able to hear sometimes the coaches, what the coaches are saying. So during that pandemic, when when we did have, I mean, the Bundesliga as one example where they decided to to have the natural sounds coming out of the stadium, which was no sounds other than the players talking and the coaches. I thought I thought that was really really illuminating. That's something that I've always wanted to do. I mean, I've always wanted to be. I mean, I've gone to soccer stadiums around the world, gone to Europe and North America, and you, you name it. But I've always wanted to be able to sit behind the bench and and hear, I mean, Jose Mourinho or I mean Jurgen Klopp or whoever it is, and just hear what they're saying. Because I might be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're so foul mouthed, or or whatever, whatever they say. But I want to hear what they're saying. Uh, yeah, that's and, the uh, and, the and risk that they run is uh, if you don't use any crowd noise and you don't use any commentary, then obviously the players on the field and the coaches aren't going to hold back in terms of what they say. 
If you're a Minnesota fan, I would urge you to do that uh, for for a match with Adrian Heath. I sat behind him uh, at a Orlando City match when they were in USL, and it was 90 minutes of just pure excitement, pure joy. <laughs> you don't need think, any commentary for sit to sit to hear Inchi for 90 minutes. So, I, I, if you're a Minnesota I, fan, do that. I thought you were going to say like 90 minutes of pure just uh, expletives. Well, that it was, but I, I enjoyed it personally. <laughs> I think actually MLS is back. Uh, that was really good about MLS is back, being able to hear the coaches. And that's probably the best example of being able to hear the coaches up close. And I think oftentimes when it was Adrian Heath and Minnesota United, a lot of kind of just like, like beep, 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 beep. You, mean, you, you couldn't, uh, they were able to catch uh, with a seven second delay, able to catch the, uh, the swear words and beep, beep them out. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. This has been a, a long episode, but it's been a really good episode with uh, both Kyle and Kartik and, and your insights and your observations and questions for us, which have been really, really spot on, really good stuff. Uh, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on the uh, podcast thread on worldsoccertalk.com. And uh, heading into another weekend of football from around the world, we've got uh, a lot to look forward to, uh, no matter what what league or what team uh, or what country you support. But heading into that weekend, Kartik, what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.